listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Now please turn together in your Bibles at this point. Let's turn together to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. We are continuing in our studies in the Ten Commandments, particularly as they pertain to uh, the Lord's table. We're looking at the subject of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, and how they relate to our seasons of communion. And today we come to the Seventh Commandment, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And with that in mind, let's look at this portion of Scripture together, Ephesians chapter 5, and let's read together from the verse number 21. Ephesians 5 and the verse number 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the saviour of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. May the Lord indeed bless his word to your hearts again today. Uh, The historical narratives of the Old Testament are so revealing regarding the unchanging nature of human depravity. In these narratives we see patterns which reveal the hearts of the people whose hearts are away from God. We see patterns whereby the people turn to idolatry. And having turned to idolatry, they then turn to immorality. Ungodly people serve false gods and they therefore reject God's standards regarding sexual morality. It's always a pattern. Idolatry is always followed by immorality. It's infallibly the case. The idolater rejects the true gods. And as they reject the true God, they reject God's standards of morality. And God's standards of morality are against man's natural inclination. And when you reject God, you therefore adopt your natural inclinations regarding morality. This rejection is classically revealed in sexual depravity and sin. The rejection of the one true and living God. And surely in this generation we've seen this pattern revealed 
in the past 60 years. Western Christendom, so-called, has abandoned biblical Christianity, abandoned the authority of God's word, and has therefore reveled in profound and relentless sexual immorality. The consequence for society has been chaos and heartache. Individuals have been so abandoning the will of God that they find themselves in the grip of their own natural inclinations. And the result of which has been personal guilt, anguish and chaos, the breakdown of the family and the breakdown of society. The seventh commandment reveals the good will of God. And we must pray that somehow God, by his mercy, would cause society to see that in this area alone, they've demonstrated that God's way is the best way. Because nothing has been good that has been the result of the sexual revolution. It has greatly impacted society for the ill, and it's had a tremendous impact for the ill upon individuals. God's will is not restrictive. That mindset must be rejected. God's will is for our good. Man's will is one of bondage. God's will is one of liberty. Liberty and joy and good. And so when you think of the seventh commandment, of course it is so foreign to the world today. How can God restrict our natural desires to love? Surely love and let love. The Bible that teaches the seventh commandment, of course, requires in the language of our catechism, the preservation of our own and our neighbor's chastity in heart, speech, and behavior. Surely that is restrictive. But of course, we understand that in the will of God, there is nothing but liberty, true liberty in the will of God. We see that demonstrated so much in life and in the word, but no, where else do we see it demonstrated so clearly as in the person of Jesus Christ? Christ, the sinless man, perfectly kept the seventh commandment. Not only did he avoid sin in this area, but he also, he did all righteousness in the seventh commandment. This commandment, sometimes we think, it was not relating to Christ. But this commandment, as much as the rest, was obeyed by our Lord and Saviour. And I want to think of that in two areas this morning as we come around the table. I want to think, first of all, about the fact that Christ lived in perfect purity as a single man. Jesus Christ lived in perfect purity as a single man. And the testimony of the New Testament is very, very clear. In Romans chapter 8, we read that God sent his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He came in a true humanity. And as We read in Hebrews chapter 4, he was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. He is an high priest who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. One who, according to 2 Corinthians 5, knew no sin, had no relationship with sin in any form. His sinless character and conduct pertained to the seventh commandment as much as it did to the others. He did no sin in this area. He exhibited appropriate, sinless friendships with women. Many women followed the Lord. They were his associates, his friends. I think 
this is worth note. These women were glad to have Christ as their friend without any fear of harassment or abuse. He had perfect friendship with these women and they had no fear in his presence. One of the things that women, of course, have experienced and have testified to in this Me Too movement is that the fear they understand, the sexual fear they understand in the presence of many powerful men. They knew no fear in Christ's presence. Woman, dear Christian man, women should have no fear in our presence. They should not fear harassment or abuse in this area. Christ knew no sin. Furthermore, he brought glory to God as a single man. As a single man, he pleased the Lord in every area of life. In these days when sexual identity is deemed so important regarding humanity, Christ demonstrates the fact that as a single man, he was able to bring perfect glory to God. Marriage is not required to lead a life that brings glory to God. It is a benefit. It is for our good. We read of that, of course, in Corinthians. But it is not required to perfect our humanity. We can live for the glory of God as singles. And if you find yourself a single person today, do not, do not use your singleness as an excuse whereby you cannot properly please the Lord. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 7, your singleness is used as a motivation to please the Lord without any distraction. Christ brings glory to God as a single man. Furthermore, we must assert that Christ's thought life was marked by pristine purity. He never looked at a woman to lust after her. His thought life was one of perfect purity. He is without spot or blemish, without external sin or internal sin. If Christ broke his own law in this area, then we have no saviour. And so we assert again that Christ is the one who did no sin in word, in deed, or in thought. How this ought to make us value the work of Christ. We ought to value his righteousness. For in comparison to his righteousness, we see how unrighteous we all have been. We see the filth and the depravity of our own nature and we we see our unrighteousness. But there is one who is altogether holy. One who kept the law in every jot and tittle, even regarding sexual thoughts. Oh, what a saviour. Oh, what a righteous man is our saviour. That that righteousness can be ours. How we value his perfect righteousness as that which covers all of our unrighteousness. Oh, what a saviour. Oh, what a man. Oh, what a perfect man was our Lord. And may we worship and adore him afresh today. He lived a life in perfect purity as a single man. But in the second place, Christ loves his spiritual bride in the spirit of the seventh commandment. Christ is the groom and the church is the bride. That's very clear. In the portion we've read together in Ephesians chapter 5, I speak concerning Christ and the church. And we see, with respect to Christ as the groom, he perfectly obeys the positive instructions of the seventh commandment. This passage in Ephesians chapter 5 is the positive aspect of the seventh commandment. This is the positive. The negative is no adultery. The positive is... This passage, this is what the will of God is 
regarding marriage. And Christ, as the groom, is the perfect groom. And let me show that in three ways. First of all, Christ, the perfect groom, keeps the covenant that he made. Malachi chapter 2, verse 14, gives us that wonderful definition of marriage. It says there, the wife of thy youth, yet she is thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. Marriage is a very personal covenant. The language of Ephesians chapter 5 speak of the husband loving their own wives, not someone else's wife. And wives honoring and reverencing their own husbands, not someone else's. There's a personal aspect to the covenant. And we see that in the relationship of Christ and the church. It is his covenant. He makes it himself. He enters into covenant under the eyes of God with his church. And in that covenant, he promises to give himself sacrificially. He promises to protect and to provide for his bride. He gives his life in fulfillment of this covenant. Verse 25, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And that giving is the fulfillment and the keeping of covenant. Christ from eternity loved the church. And in that love, he enters into covenant, that oath-bound promise of blessing, guaranteeing that he would do whatever was required to bring spiritual blessings. And every spiritual blessing we enjoy in Christ Jesus come because he gave himself in fulfillment of covenant. He is the perfect groom. He loved his own. And he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end as he gave himself on the cross on their behalf. He keeps the covenant he made. Secondly, he is the perfect groom as one who is the unfeeling companion of his bride. He is the unfeeling companion. Malachi chapter 2 again. He is the, or sorry, she is thy companion. And Christ is the perfect companion groom. Verse number 29 of our portion says this. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. Therefore we see in this portion that Christ, he nourishes and cherishes the church. As the husband is to nourish and cherish their wives. Nourish is derived from a root word that speaks of feeding. That's the connection with feeding your flesh. That sense of of developing and feeding so that there is the sustaining and the development of life. But the word we find here for nourishing has a sense of of training to maturity. Christ comes alongside and develops grace in his bride, the church. She benefits in his presence. She, She grows in his presence. But beyond that, there is this word to cherish. This is such a precious word. Dear husband, please heed this word carefully. It has in its sense the word to warm. It's used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, regarding the nurse and the child and how she cherishes the child that she nurses. It is to warm by bringing close. It speaks of Christ's presence as our companion groom. Even though 
We are an imperfect spouse. Remember in the language of Ephesians chapter 5, the Lord is not loving a perfect bride. The bride is not yet finally sanctified. He's still sanctifying the bride. And he is pleased. This is wonder of wonders. Our Savior is pleased to draw alongside and be close to an imperfect spouse. And warm the spouse with his presence. That is grace upon grace. He never leaves us. He's always with us. He is our ever-present companion. And he communicates to us in an unfeeling fashion. He always listens to us attentively. There are times that we come before the Lord and we we wonder, are our requests and our burdens, are they trivial, are they silly? He is never, never an impatient spouse. He will never push away his bride and say, I have no time for your trivialities. He is kind and his ear is ever open to our needs. He's ever open to our cries. He's ever open to our tears. He is this perfect, unfeeling companion. He is the perfect groom. What a groom is our Christ. Never, never turns us away. Always, always speaks to us in those words of encouragement, instruction, and exhortation. He is never, ever harsh in his words. He is never uncaring in his words. His words are always fitly spoken. They're always a word in season. When there's a need for exhortation, press on, dear child of God. We hear his word and it comes to us with the tenderness of a loving groom who draws us close. Oh, what a savior. He is able to bring that word of exhortation in a way that we understand it coming from a heart that loves us. He loves us and speaks these words of exhortation. When we need that word of comfort, he comes and whispers in our ears and says, I love you, you are mine. This is our unfeeling companion. What a saviour. What a saviour is our Christ. He speaks to us in his word. We open the pages of this book day by day and we know that when we open this book we're going to hear the words of our groom. He is not so distant that we cannot hear him. He's ever ready and willing to speak to our souls. We hear him in the word as it is read and as it is preached. May we always have an ear for the words of our spouse. He is the perfect groom keeping covenant being the unfailing companion, and thirdly, being eternally committed to your good and to your true good. He is the groom that sanctifies. They often say that in marriage you take on some of the characteristics of your spouse. You live so closely, you live in such an intimate fashion for so many years that you begin to take on some of the features. Now there are some abusive spouses on both sides, male and female, And they will seek to change their spouse, but not for the good. They will seek to manipulate and control their spouse in a way that is not godly. But Christ, Christ is always working in us for for our good. And his desire is that we be perfectly conformed to his likeness. His likeness is perfection. And therefore, it is absolutely appropriate that he sanctifies us. Verse number 26. 
Oh, Christ loved the church, gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, like a glorious bride, not in spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Christ's commitment to his bride is eternal. He is the forever faithful groom. It is impossible for Christ to feel his bride. He will not forget his vows. He will not neglect his duty. He will not omit to provide. He will not grow weary. He will not give up. He will not commit spiritual adultery by failing to love us and loving another. He is mine and I am his forever. Loved with everlasting love. Led by grace that love to know. Spirit breathing from above. Thou hast taught me it is so. Oh this full and perfect peace. Oh this transport all divine. In a love which cannot cease. I am his and he is mine. His forever only his. Who the Lord and me shall part. Ah with what a rest of bliss. Christ can fill the loving heart. Heaven and earth may fade and flee. Firstborn light and gloom decline. But while God and I shall be. I am his and he is mine. This is your saviour, dear child of God. He is the one who perfectly keeps the precepts of the seventh commandment, loving us and loving us to the end. His obedience secures our salvation. By his obedience, we live. By his obedience, we do not suffer the consequence of our law-breaking. Christ's obedience comforts us in our sorrows friends may fail us even spouses may fail us but Jesus never Christ's obedience commands our sanctification this is the standard that God sets for marriage the standard for the groom and the response of the bride we who are Christ's bride We gladly, we gladly submit ourselves to him. We gladly live under his rule. We love because he first loved us. And we are glad and happy to reverence him, to honor him, and to worship him today. Dear name the rock 
which I build my shield and hiding place, my never failing treasury filled with boundless stores of grace. Jesus, my shepherd, Savior, friend, my prophet, priest, and my Lord, my life, my way, my end, accept the praise I bring, accept the praise I bring. Weak is the effort of and cold my warmest thought but when I see thee as thou art I'll praise thee as I ought till then I would thy love proclaim with every fleeting breath and of thy name refresh my soul in death refresh my soul in Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.